0: Today, it's all about advanced lighting techniques and oh so much more. This is Behind the Shot. Hi, as always, welcome once again to Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all those stories and challenges that happen in between. I'm Steve Brazzle, and today's show is something I have been, I've been excited about I've been nervous about uh, for a lot of different reasons, and you'll understand as we go through. So let me first of all just welcome my guest to today's show. Mr. Joel Grimes, how are you, sir? Steve, I'm doing excellent. Thank you. It is good to see you again. We met at WPPI, and for those people that did not see my WPPI 2020 recap, uh, you can head over to the website, BehindTheShot.tv, and you can see it there. But I, I interviewed... Canon was so gracious to me at WPPI. They reached out to me and just said, we've got Canon Explorers of Light. You know, let's do some interviews. I'm like, all right. That's and great. my conversation with you, I'm going to be honest, it's one of, those, one of those interviews I've done. And I've interviewed hundreds of people. It's one of those interviews I've done that stuck with me. Oh, there, there are some things about the way you approach your art that is, is just wonderful to me. So first of all, that was before covid in February, I hope you're
1: doing well. Yes, I'm doing excellent. Uh, I said just earlier, before we got going here, I said that I've been working out. Finally, I was like a couch potato there. I feel kind of sluggish, but I'm up uh, every morning working out, so I'm doing better.
0: Well, and for those that weren't in the conversation before, he's running stairs. So clearly the rest of us are not living up to, (laughs) to our potential. Uh, Joel is based in Phoenix, Arizona. The west side, and yes. I, I I guess the first place I want to go is, I think of you as a commercial photographer, commercial mm-hmm. artist, but the truth is you shoot everything from a subject point of view. How do you describe what you do?
1: Well, in the early days, we kind of had to. I mean, the 80s when I started out, I photographed uh, tabletop stuff. I shot, you know, group shots. I did the Broncos team portrait for... Ten years, the Rockies team portrait. I did board of directors annual reports. I was, you know, flown all over the world. At, you know, one company sent me to two hundred power plants uh, in fifty different countries, or uh, probably a, at least that. Um, and so, um, you, I kind of had to learn how to do all this. Now, you got to understand, I came through the fine arts, so I got a degree. Which, um, so
0: you're a trained photographer.
1: Well, when I say trained, I didn't go to a tech school like Art Center or, you know, uh, Brooks Art Institute or one of those. I wanted to, but of course that was too expensive. And and, uh, my dad, he didn't think uh, spending money on my education was a good investment because he was a fireman and he said, an artist, forget that. I'm not going to waste my money. So I ended up paying for my own college, which actually was a benefit because I ended up having to scratch, claw And fight my way through that to get, I was working construction. I worked for beacons one summer, uh, moving furniture and all in Arizona, which was like, you know, 115 degrees out and doing all that stuff. But I went to um,
0: Arizona State for a little bit. It's it's a nightmare in the summer. Yeah. Uh,
1: But I ended up getting a degree in fine arts, which if I look back, which is really interesting, um, I was probably the most, well, I used to call it the, the straightest looking kid in my class or and you know there was really artsy looking uh, students and i was no rock star i can tell you that and i fumbled along and i i but but um one of the things that the fine art education got me was i studied art history now um if you think about that um especially when you look at the if you look at my work the renaissance Baroque uh painters the Rembrandt cross light, that cross light look really influenced me early on. So when I, uh, graduated, I had no lighting experience, no commercial, you know, no introduction to commercial photography at all. Um, and, um, but I had this art history and this, uh, sort of like, I wanted to be an artist. Um, I wanted to be creative and I had this really hardworking ethic. I, I knew that if I worked hard, I could, I could, I had a chance. Um, so I look back now and I see that there a lot of my friends went to Art Center. They went to Brooks. They went to. Brooks, right. Yeah. And um, I look at my work and and I say that my fine art degree actually was a good thing because it, it gave me a little bit different angle than a lot of the students coming out of these schools where they I don't say that I shouldn't say they all look the same, but they were getting a very technical Education and techniques are actually easy. You can learn techniques. Being an artist is a whole nother thing, and having your work and you put it out there in the marketplace, and then someone says you suck. That's like I talk about being a human, and uh, you know we all we're all weak, fragile, and secure. All those things come into play. So, so I think that my degree was the best thing for me. I had to scratch my way and claw my way to where I'm at today. But also, I know we're going to be talking about lighting and not just lighting, but other things. I had to go and learn them on my own. I had to go and say, "Okay, here's a softbox. What does this thing do? Um, And my first lighting experience was one softbox. And I was taught to put it 45 degrees. My, My studio mate said, put it 45 degrees to the subject. And I looked at the light and I go, that's not right and I go, because I'm looking at the Renaissance Baroque uh, painters as my guide, right? So I move the light to the side. I call it cross light. Um, I was speaking at Brooks. I, I, I probably spoke at Brooks about 15 times. And I had all the students uh, one time as a big assembly. And all the uh, instructors were uh, in the back. And I got up and started talking about lighting. And <laughs> I would say, oh, yeah, cross light or whatever. you know, And I'd show a picture. And they go, they were all kind of joking, uh, laughing because – I don't know all the technical terms on lighting, but I know what looks good in a picture. And I have built all these lighting techniques that I didn't learn in a classroom, but I learned by looking at painters and then practicing a lot.
0: You, you, you okay, so there is so much to unpack in that that I love. And one of them is the technical people can learn, right? It's an ABC in a sense. People can learn technique, but the vision, the art, the creativity of it Comes from here and comes from here. And that's where I think I said at the beginning, you, you, you have a, an interesting appreciation for the art of photography. You, you have a different way of looking at it. And I think that art history background, like you say, understanding that the masters long before we were born had already studied this. Right. In a medium where it really matters, because you can't just take another shot, right? You're right. painting with oil paints. Yeah. And understanding that and applying it on the fly to a subject, I think is what takes somebody, and I am not by any means a, a lighting expert. But I think it's what I see as a common thread between those people that tend to elevate lighting techniques to the next level. And it's that same kind of mentality. You, you have a quote on your website that I mentioned when we were in Vegas too, but this just keeps coming back to my mind. I don't think I'll ever forget this quote and I don't wanna mess it up, so I'm gonna read it. For me, art is an extension of life. I believe my passion to create is built into my very DNA. Art is not simply defined by the finished product, but by the process one pours into the very act of creating. Mm -hmm. That in combination with, I view myself as an illusionist. Creating images larger than life. Those two quotes together, along with what you just described as, for me, it wasn't, I had to know the terms. I would look at something and know if light was right. It's that illusionist, brilliant way of of looking at, at how you do things. And I would argue that you are a master of light. You are pretty much second to none uh, when it comes to lighting skills. So, Really quick before I get into the fact that you do workshops and you do tutorials, and I want to mention some of those for a couple of different reasons, but as, we, as we've touched on the lighting, Joel Grimes walks into a scene, whether it's just you be you know, being at home shooting for fun or it's a commercial job, when Joel Grimes walks up to a scene, and it could be 10 people, one person, or a vase, what's the common thread that you look at to try and, and decipher or interpret your approach to lighting that scene? Well, so you
1: have to understand something that, um, and when I say this a lot, I think it's important to um, you know your weaknesses and know your strengths, okay? Okay. And so um, one of the things that I, I, and I have friends that I say this to and they laugh and they go, oh, come on, Joel. I say, I'm not brilliant, right? And I was barely a C student. So uh, academically, I did not do very well. OK. And I'm no creative genius. And I I don't know if I maybe I've met a creative genius here and there. I don't know if that's you know, it's hard to to know, because often what we do is we look at someone's work and we say they're brilliant. They're creative geniuses. But really, they, they got there because they spent 40 years Developing. Right. The it's look. the,
0: what is it, yeah. the 10,000 hours to yes. perfect? Or yeah.
1: 40,000 hours, or whatever right. it is. They they put the time in to repeating the subject over and over for their, their skill set. And so I always say I'm not a creative genius, but I have something that a lot of photographers, I think, uh, are missing. And that is, um, I, I know that the creative process is not uh, it's to, to have success. With a, say a photograph, is you don't have to be a creative genius, right? And so, um, but I have a passion for the creative process. Okay, so that's to me. If I, I always say, if I, if I, before I was born into this world, and let's just say I was, you know, uh, standing before God, and He said, okay, you have a choice, Joel. You can be uh, a creative genius, or you can have a passion for the creative process. You pick one, and I would hands down pick that I have a passion for the creative process. Because that's what keeps me going all the time—is trying something new, working something, exploring something, trying a new—I get a new lens or a new technique. Problem solving. Problem solving, and I just go after it. Now, here's a question that I ask myself all the time. I've been asking this uh, for years, um, and of course, we've had an explosion with the digital, uh, uh, you know, age that we're in now. But um, uh, if I go and do a picture. I asked myself, could I have done this say, I used to say 10 years ago. So if I could have done this 10 years ago, the techniques I'm using, then the odds are, it's gonna come out boring. And the reason why is because it might've looked good 10 years ago, but we've moved on, the the viewers have moved on, our audience has moved on, uh, and the techniques have moved on are the way we look at pictures that you know have moved on and so one of the things i always say to a wedding photographer is that if you're showing a picture in your portfolio website whatever that's 10 years old you won't get any work because you got hairstyles, makeup styles dress styles all the techniques that we do today and a lot of photographers wedding photographers call me and they go i don't have any work And i go can i ask you one question do you have any pictures in your portfolio that are over 10 years old they go yes Get them out because yeah. get new ones in there and use the new techniques, a new uh, you know, way of sort of exploring the creative process. And so I'm always trying something new. So, you, you know, you know what's, what's amazing, I get a lot of people that, that, that say this to me, they say, you're always at the front of the curve. I'm always at the front of what's going on, not the back end of what's going on. And I go, that's not a mistake. I have to be at the front. Because I could never survive at the back end. I'm not smart enough or I'm not a creative genius. I have to be at the front exploring, always trying something new.
0: That, that in and of itself, that right there, I think is, and that's actually kind of COVID centric in, in setting yourself up to succeed once everything opens back up again, is understanding that, yes, you may not want to run your, your computer or your phone on the latest beta from a tech point of view. Being on the, the cutting edge may not be good for you. But being up in the front of that curve from a creative process point of view gives you a leg up because, in essence, everybody else is still shooting the 80s hairstyle.
1: Yep. And, right. and, and the other thing, too, is... is when that, I had hair, I should say. Yeah, well, me too. Yeah. Um, if you look at, let's say, my composites and you say, um, well, you know, there's people who are doing a lot better than you uh, today, Joel. And I go, absolutely. But 10 years ago, I was at the very forefront of it all. And every composite I put out there, people went, oh, my God, that's incredible. Well, now I put out a composite, they go, oh, okay," because I was at the beginning of that. And then we're going to talk about this new image that I just did recently. And it's a new way of looking at uh, approaching photography. Um, And and so I want to be the one that's out there doing that before everyone else, because that's the only chance I have of actually making a splash.
0: And. Before we get into this image, I want to mention that Joel does workshops and video tutorials and master classes and just Joel's everywhere from an education point of view. And you even work some some very large conferences in Phoenix, as I recall. Um, but some of your class titles: the Artist Beauty Portrait, the Retouch, Dramatic Lighting Masterclass, Master of uh, Master the Art of Photography a specific class just on that Rembrandt cross light and even on printing and location portraits, there is so many classes that you have and all the links to, to Joel's workshops and masterclasses are in the blog post at behindtheshot.tv, And okay. I highly recommend you go check them out. I'm not going to lie. I don't do lighting much. I photograph live music now and then I do portraits. I wish I was better at it. And I've been looking at your classes myself To try and learn more about lighting, I got to go check out some of the the stuff as well because I've seen you speak, I know how you teach, and I'm anxious for those myself. There There is a statement in those quotes that I read earlier. Art is an extension of life. Art is not simply defined by the finished product, right? But by the process that you pour into the act of creating. That mental approach to me is... Is part of what separates um, a really good photographer, like you kind of said, the technical photographer, photos are sharp, composition makes sense, image does or doesn't speak to you from the artist. If you were to share one tip for upcoming artists that would help them grow more or learn more, the, the education hat on Joel Grimes, right? If you were to share that one tip that would say, "Look, I understand you're starting out. You're not going to be perfect tomorrow, right? It's it's a process. Enjoy the process." What's the one tip you think would help somebody learn and grow more effectively?
1: Well, okay, I, I think that, like, say when you go to a college um, that specializes in a photography program, um, and you look at their curriculum, and about 95% of it is all technical, technical classes, okay? And so people usually start out there and they get graded on their technical proficiency. And so when they graduate, they believe that technical proficiency will get them a lot of work, right? Okay, so they live in this world of, it's gotta be sharp, it's gotta be in focus, it's gotta be lighting, balanced, correct. it has got, you know, all these things. They learned Rule all of these- things. the thirds, you know. Fibonacci yeah,
0: spiral. Exactly. Right.
1: And so, so um, the, the the reason why schools and most education uh, instructors stick with the technical is because it's two plus two equals four. It's very well defined, even though there's some things that are subjective, uh, you know. But it's more objective, and it's 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 easier to say to someone your rule of th- th- thirds is off or your. Whatever is technically, they can say something against it technically. The reason why they avoid the creative, artistic, the conceptual part of the creative process, whatever, is because it's like blowing with the wind. It's so subjective and one person may be led down one path and, and be all excited about that. Another person says that is that's the most boring thing I've ever seen. Right. right? And so when you start talking about concepts and the, the artistic side, it's harder to define and it's it's a lot harder to critique or let's say um, uh, it's easier to say a technical mistake, not a not a aesthetic mistake mistake. OK, okay. so 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 it, um, so instructors, it's easy to hand out a, a pamphlet. with all these technical you know Uh, information at it. But when you start talking about being an artist, a whole different thing. Do you notice that that, uh, when I started speaking 10 years ago, most of my emphasis was on the artistic side. And the reason why is because I felt like I had a revelation on the artistic side and it took me a while, but the art on the artistic side, I had to learn something, which is very critical for every artist to learn. that is, is that when I go and do something, um, I have to make choices and choices can be critiqued. Someone can say you made the wrong choice. Right. Um, and so I had to learn early on that I have to live with my choices. I have to say I made that choice because it was the, in my gut, my intuition told me to do that. And so once I go and I say, I don't care about the critics, I'm going to go do what I want to do and then get to my end result. Now, when you start out, you're, you're maybe your technical skills aren't very good. Um and you're fumbling along and you don't know what to do and you you know you you know it's a big mess. But with time, you start refining that vision and the choices you're making and the techniques, the the technical side of it, and all of a sudden it starts coming together and then you have this brand. It's called the Joel Grimes brand. Right. Because I got there because I didn't listen to the critics or I just said, "Okay, that's your opinion. Uh, You know, you suck, Joel. Okay, fine. Thank you. And I move on. And I don't every time I make a decision, I don't worry about whether or not it's the right one. I make the decision based on what I like. And so this is at, at first, it's a little bit nerve wracking because we're so used to being uh, are making decisions based on what we are, we're worried about, other people's opinions, our professors, you know, our, right. our, our, our friends, you know, Facebook, Instagram, critics, or whatever. And so um, I had to learn early on that I'm going to go down a path that fits me and I'm going to do it really well. So that's the key to it is that um, I have to do it really well, and that takes time. And here's another little tip that, that will, will, will um, shock most people. Um, so you, let's say you, you, you get out of college like I did and I got a a studio mate. We went and had a a studio in Denver and the first thing I had to do is get clients. Right. And I didn't know how to do that. And my, my buddy, uh, Steve did, and he, he was a real good marketer. So he kind of set me up. The first thing I had to do is I had to make cold calls and I hated cold calls and I was all thump. I mean, I'm all, all, uh, you know, I couldn't get it out. Right. Right. And I was on the phone and, um, My tongue felt like 50 pounds and I had to make tons. I made 3,000 cold calls. I logged in 3,000 cold calls my first year and I showed my portfolio 200 times. And so in that first year, I got maybe, let's just say I got 10 jobs, 12 jobs, not very many. So you think 200 portfolio showings, 3,000 cold calls, I ended up with 10 jobs. You say, that's pretty bad, Joel. Well, that's how you start out. Right. And and so um and I and so what happened to is I thought that number 1 I had to get 50 jobs or 100 jobs. Well, 10 jobs I didn't eat very well, but 10 jobs allowed me to survive the first year. And then the next year I got 20 30 jobs and then you know kept going. But what so but the other thing too is um my friend Steve told me this is that you can only handle so many clients. You don't need to win over the world. So Ooh,
0: if you that's, think that's about, good.
1: Yeah. So if you think about that, that I had to do a lot of cold calls, a lot of portfolio showings, but I only needed so many jobs, not a ton. And then once I realized that not everyone's gonna like what I do, so I knock on a door and I show my portfolio and they go, Oh, thanks for coming. And I, I'm out the door, I go, I'm not crushed by that. Because I know I only need 10 jobs or whatever. And if I just keep knocking on doors, I'm going to get more work. So I always tell people that are starting out: this, you don't have to win over the world. Um, and we, we look at someone like, I always use Britney Spears as an example, because I've never bought one of her songs or albums right. or whatever. I've never even listened to a full song of Britney Spears. I've seen bits and heard bits and pieces of Britney Spears over news, or whatever, but I've never listened, but I know who Britney Spears is now. Um, now I always use Ray LaMontagne. I love Ray LaMontagne. He's a raspy singer songwriter. I say I've got every one of Ray LaMontagne's albums, and I listen to him when I'm on the road. I love it. And a lot of people don't know who Ray LaMontagne is, but Ray LaMontagne makes a very good living with people like me that love him. I right. went to I actually went to one of his concerts, and it was it was a big it was like five thousand people. So he's filling out uh, these uh, venues. But what I'm saying is is you don't have to be a Britney Spears. You can do what you love and make
0: a good living with a small audience. And, and so, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that's such a key point, though, in that you only have to be you and the audience will come to you. It's it's absolutely. an amazingly freeing thing absolutely, to be able to look at a potential client, one that you may have actually wanted to work for and be able to say to yourself, you know what? It's OK. I'm just not right for them. It's yep. nothing personal. It's just not, my voice isn't the voice that they wanna hear and, and, and what you were saying, for some odd reason, the Beatles came to mind. If the Beatles listened to the critics, the White Album would have never been made, yep. right? So you, finding your own, I'm gonna say photographic, but in essence, artistic voice is in essence a skill in and of itself. I, I uh, do judging at local small image competitions and I tell people, the, the, the benefit to that is you can sit in the back of a room at an image competition or a WPPI image competition, which I think you've judged, haven't you?
1: I've done them until somebody
0: yeah. judging things, yeah. You can sit in the back of that and yell at the judges going, you're an idiot, you don't understand my art. You can do that all day long. Inevitably, you will still hear something that makes you go, I, I never thought somebody could see my image that way. And that's a learning moment right yeah. there, which which kind of brings us to this class, this class, this, uh, this image, because I told Joel in the green room, I'm browsing Instagram like two o'clock this morning, the day that we're recording this and a Joel Grimes Instagram ad for his masterclasses came up and it was for the dramatic portrait masterclass. And the image that we're going to talk about today was the actual image for the masterclass. This is called either tombstone saloon or tombstone cowboys. I'm going to be honest with you because of the bottle and I'm a whiskey fan. I call it straight rye. <laughs> um, I'm gonna try and, I, I do this every show. Forgive me if I butcher it. I try and describe the the photo for those listening on audio. About 50% of my audience listens the, to the okay. audio only version, which is right. difficult when you're discussing a photo. Right. And the other half watches the video either, there is a podcast feed for the video. So if you go to behindtheshot.tv, all the links are there. You can subscribe in your podcast app wherever you get your podcasts and if your app supports video you can subscribe to the video version you can subscribe to the audio only version whichever one happens to fit your need and if you don't do podcasts well the video is also on the youtube channel at behind the shot so this image i'm going to try and describe it it's all about the light to me as soon as i saw this image and our mutual friend scott from from uh, canon pr scott heath when, when he sent me this image and said, what do you think of this one? Immediately, it was the light, the light, the light. In, I mean, in my mind, it was the light, the light, the light in all caps, okay? The scene is painted to me like a master painter. This goes to your, your art history knowledge to me. It's very painting-like, but it's not, it doesn't look like a painting, although, yeah, it kind of looks like a painting. It's clearly a photograph. I mean, I can, the guy on the left... I can reach out and touch him, I feel like. There is a three-dimension, third dimension to this image. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen in a portrait. I'm not even saying that lightly. I don't know that I have ever, ever seen that. The colors, the textures, and I I just want to take a second to kind of walk around the room. So it is a, a group of five men playing poker in an old saloon. Hence the name. There's a door on the left, where you have light beams coming in through the window. I mean, beautiful light beams. I mean, perfect light beams. The back wall has stairs like you would see in a movie and one of those like half old Western circular flags. There's a curtain on the right over or right in the middle of the back wall over an arched doorway. The right side has the balcony of where the stairs go with supports, but the lighting is such that you can see under it. You can read things that are under the balcony. You can see the walls faintly. The floor is this wooden floor that's full of texture that I feel like I need to go down and dust. It's, it, it's, it's so hard to explain this. And then the poker table is your standard old Western poker table. It's weathered. You can feel the weather. There's money, there's chips, there's whiskey, and there's shot glasses. And I must say... Because this one, when I saw it, again, I'm a whiskey fan. When I saw this, the whiskey shot glasses are even angled perfectly. So question number one, was this for a job or were you shooting this specifically for your classes?
1: Um, yeah, I set it up for the class. Um, what happened was uh, one of the things that when, when we had this lockdown, the shutdown, I, I called my boys. Two, three of them are in L.A. working. And I said, boys, now's the time to get busy <laughs> because everyone's going to take a break and now's the time they're going to make excuses. Don't make any excuses. Now's the time to, to get busy. And I decided I had been trying to set up a master class, and I was like, um, oh my gosh, models. I don't know where I'm gonna get models. And so I had this idea and I'd already gone down to Tombstone a couple times. Um, and, um, my friend Cliff Linderman, he was helping me too. And we, uh, started talking to all the cowboys and stuff. So we got permission from the uh, mayor and the uh marshal of Tombstone to come in during lockdown and get all these cowboys they're all out of work, right? Cuz This they, is actually in Tombstone Arizona? Oh, it's in Tombstone. Yeah, and that's at the uh what's the saloon? It's the, the the Imperial I can't remember it, but I, I'm 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 I can't believe they're going they're going to crucify me if they they know I didn't get the, the, the we'll, right. we'll hide it. We'll, we'll yeah. mute
0: this part. But,
1: no, that's all right. But um, so what we did was we had roughly 15 cowboys at our disposal and not all of them looked like they would be perfect in terms of, you know, the right character. So we got there and I started sorting through some. We used a few and then never used the pictures, but um, I got my my best characters. And then they, they had this, you know, they said, well, we got a saloon that you can shoot in. And. And so everything's locked down. Right. So I had, if it wasn't locked down, I would have had to try to shoot this thing at like late, I don't know, early morning or something when it was closed. Um, cause they also, you know, serve food there and stuff. Uh, they have tourists coming all the time. So we really hit a jackpot with, um, you know, the, the subjects, the location, uh, the, the Cowboys, it was like, it just fell into my lap and, and I, I laugh at it because, you know, uh, Yes, I try to do my social distancing. We, we posted a few of these images uh, just behind the scenes, and we were wiping down everything. But a few people got – they went berserk and said, all oh, right, you can't be shooting during lockdown. But we, we, we kept our distance. We didn't shake hands. We you know no kissing, no hugging. But, um, but anyway, so I put this together, and I had this shot already figured out in my mind. And um, so, so let me back up um, and explain something that I think is very important. Um, so when we talk about the transition from film to digital, so there's a lot of people that never had the film days or they may dabble in film today. I don't know, but the, the approach to do a shot like this would be all my lights would have to be on, um, out of the frame that have to be on booms and, you know, extent, you know, whatever, uh, sandbag and big stands and extensions and everything to get the lights, um, but the, the biggest problem with those in those days was that because you had to get your lights out of frame, unless you were doing a telephoto lens, right. Um, in this case, it's a semi wide angle.
0: Do you the know what this had, was by the way?
1: Um, you, you know, it would probably be about a 24, maybe, maybe like a 28. Cause
0: that's a zoom lens, but. And, and what uh, body would you have shot this with?
1: This was the EOS R. Um, okay. now I have the EOS R5, but, um. Uh, in fact, they were supposed to get me one. Canon was supposed to get me one. I was waiting literally every UPS truck that came in and it never showed up. And so I had to go shoot this because I wanted to shoot that with the new R5. But okay. um, th- you can tell I'm a little pissed off at, at that. But yeah, I have it now, so it's really good. But anyways, um, um, and so – so, and the R is a beautiful camera too. But um, so you, so with digital um, – there's a lot of things that we can do we couldn't do with the film days. Well, um, so I do a lot of ad campaign stuff and 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 I've shot the big crews and stuff where you have, you know, a grip truck and everything. Um, but with the digital, it's, it's allowed me to do things that I could never do. And I have to think in a different mindset. The mindset is that if I go and I have to lock down my camera, well, in this case, I actually end up bumping the camera in the middle of the shoot. And then I, I, I tell the, the I'm, I'm teaching, say, do not bump your camera and I bump it. And so then I have to fix it later, which is really kind of hilarious because um, I'm talking and I back into my camera. Anyways, um, usually you're not teaching while you're doing a photo shoot. But so when you, I call it a meaning working in multiple plates. And so Um, not too long ago, I shot a whole campaign for Chrysler, Fiat Chrysler Automotive. We had Dodge trucks, the, um, you know, um, the, well, the, uh, Dodge, the, what's the brands? There's a Dodge, um,
0: Dodge Chrysler Ram
1: Chrysler. Yeah, exactly. And so we did uh, from the van to the big trucks and everything, but I shot everything in plates. And so, um, Let me explain how that works and then you'll understand why this shot can be pulled off today and it couldn't have been pulled off before.
0: Oh, okay.
1: The easiest way to think of a plate, Now, when I teach a workshop, I do this very simply. So let's say I have a model. I have a beauty dish over the top of the model. And let's say I have a fill card underneath that model to fill in the shadows a little bit. Okay, So I have a big old piece of foam core or a pop-up reflector. And I start out and I say, this is plateography at its simplest form. And that is... I snap a picture and I get the lighting perfect. And then I go, I'm going to back up. Okay. So I zoom out or I back the camera up. Now I got the model. Let's say uh, she's beautiful. She's standing out in the trees and a beautiful park and everything like this. And now I've got the light in the picture and I got the reflector in the picture. But when I put the, all that really close to her and I get the reflector, I go snap. And I get this incredibly gorgeous light on her face. Well, if the camera is locked down, or if it, you, you can register it later, you can do it this handheld too. But you want to normally lock it down. Then I just swing out. So I go, I go, snap, and then I swing out, snap. I take two frames. Then in, in Photoshop with layers and a mask, uh, I paint out the light and the reflector
0: using and the so, plate that was. Without the light. okay. which now that answers some questions I'm going to have on this one. Then, by the way, I have to say, the guy on the right looks like the country singer Trace Adkins and the guy on the left looks like Kurt Russell. It's the most wild. Exactly. I mean, do you see that, too?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I kept saying that. I kept. In fact, I photographed uh, the guy, Kurt Russell character, uh, Kevin, a lot. And he's just perfect subject. It's good.
0: Yeah. I looked at this like three. No, it's not. Well, maybe. No, it's not. I I mean, it was hilarious as I'm doing this. So. So if I explain. Go ahead. go, Go ahead.
1: Well, everything is planned out to where I bring my lights into this saloon and I go to the character on the left, the Kurt Russell guy, and I bring my lights in to be perfectly lit around him. I can't light the same light by pick taking that light and putting it 10 feet away. It right. doesn't give the same drama, right? When you bring it in, I have more control over where I want the values of the light to hit. Right. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm bringing my lights in close, uh, photographing. Uh, I did this in three parts, maybe four parts where I'm lighting. And then I basically move the lights light, move the lights light. And then I'm, getting the lights all where I want. They're in the picture. Then I go pull everything out, take one frame as my background plate. And then in Photoshop, I paint out all the lights so they look like they're lit perfectly.
0: Okay, so here's a couple of of issues I see Steve having with doing what you just described. And first of all, let me ask, did you do a plate of the room, the table, the stuff on the table without the actors?
1: Um, You could.
0: Yeah. I mean, is there's there any a, the, benefit to that?
1: No, no. I mean, well, they're sitting there. Uh, they're just, they're talking to each other. They're they're bored silly by now. And I just snap a, a plate. They could get up and leave. Now, in some cases you might like, for example, the first guy's got his arm. I, let me pull it up on my screen. Um, and the, the guy behind him, there's a connection there between the guy and the hat looking at him. Yeah. In that case, I might say, um, you know, when I do the first lighting, then I do the second lighting, I don't have, I say, you can move your head, but don't move your arms because they're connected. Okay, and
0: that was going to be one of my questions was, I can envision you doing the plate of the room after all the lighting's been removed. And then a shot with the lighting close up on five different people. So there's six different shots there. And I envision there being, when you try and paint the light in on, let's let's just take a hypothetical you're now trying to paint the light in on the guy on the far right, the Trace Atkins guy, and his head not being in the same position as you're trying to paint it in. At that point, you just replace his whole head with the lit shot.
1: OK, so so the only issue I have is if there's two moving parts. OK, that, that so cross. the background's not moving. He's moving his head, but the background's not moving. Right. So I do the background plane. I just paint him in, and it, it's just seamless. Um, in this case, I had lights on both sides, so I I could, and I've done this where I've just I've shot all the lights on one person at a time. Now, if you look at the guy at the very back. In the um, middle? Kyle, in the very middle. I photographed him with all the four guys out. So by the time I got to him, I just said, hey, guys, step out. We're moving all the lights back in the very back. So – So when I photographed him, there were the other cowboys weren't in there. But on the other two, I had to make sure because they're crossing each other. I could have done one half the table, then done the other half the table, and whatever. But um, and I explain this. I go through the whole thing step by step in in um, my tutorial, the master class there, the dramatic dramatic master class. I show you how to do this, and then I show the retouching and how to put it all together. It's actually
0: how many shots then here? You've you've got the plate, uh, you've got the guy in the center. That's two.
1: I actually used like the Kurt Russell guy, uh, Kevin. I used a different head I feel
0: bad for him,
1: <laughs> off of a different uh, frame because when when I did the the two the two guys on the left, I did them, he looked like he was looking uh, uh, too far to the right, so I wanted him to move, and so I pulled the head off. Um, so there's really one, uh, two, three, four, probably four shots, maybe five shots in here.
0: Um, OK, so so uh,
1: go ahead. But, but the, 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 the biggest challenge to this is you have to think through the steps ahead of time. That's the biggest challenge. So if you miss a step and you go, oh, I forgot to shoot the background, plate," which by the way, I've done before. And they're like, oh, crap, I got all these lights in there. I had nothing to paint them out. Um, I wouldn't start Ooh. usually on this complex of a of a photograph. I would start, like, say, um, a cowboy out in the field and then you know, um, you, you bring the lights to him, shoot it, then bring the lights out, shoot the background plate and, and just take that, uh, uh, paint it out.
0: Okay. So a couple of, uh, wow. A couple of things here. I, I, have got so many questions on the lighting. First of all, let me just ask this though, the chips, the whiskey, the old style money, the cards, everything, everything is, is, is the perfect choice and in the right spot. How much, and and remind me to get back to the light because there's something on the light that I really have a serious question on, but even the table and the rug in this shot kind of transport you to that time frame, that Tombstone, Arizona country time frame. But how granular did you get with the posing? So like you say, the second guy from the left, the guy looking at Kurt Russell, and again, I apologize to the actor, um, he has... The look on his face, the second guy from the right, his shot glass is tilted, right? Who they're looking at, they're not all looking at the same person. They're looking at different people. They're looking suspiciously. The position of the game parts and the How granular did you get with saying tilt your glass more or move your, did you, did you get to that? Or did you just say talk amongst yourselves?
1: No, well, so, so what happens is um, when you talk about, I'm doing a still life uh, masterclass right now where you're putting pairs on something and you move a pair and you tilt a pair, you, you know, it's all about, about relationships and design and all these things are working together to make a picture better. Right. Or it makes it right. more pleasing or more realistic. So you get in that position and you go, uh, that whiskey bottles in the wrong spot. It's in that they put it in the front. I go, Nope, let's get it back. I kissed. You don't want it in the front. Then I'm like, okay, hold your glass. Like you just drank it or you just drank it and you just relaxed. So okay. I actually had them drink a little bit and then put their hand down. I go, where, how would you put your hand down? If you just drank a shot a little bit, how would you put it down? Cause at first they're very stiff looking. So I just walk through each person, their character. So like, if you're going to do like, uh, you're going to look at your cards. How would you look at your cards? You don't look at them like this, right? You look at them like, you know, you relax a little bit. So I walk through each person and try to get them to look, you know, the part. And then it's kind of like a rehearsal, and then I go, okay, uh, let's try you looking at that person. I look at them. Hmm, that doesn't look realistic. Let's go, okay, you go back, look in here. So you work around the table and, and you move things. I move things uh, just for visual reasons. Um, you know, I think we move the money, we move the cards, we move the bottle. You know, we've moved a few things um, just to but get- But the person
0: coaching is key to me because what you just described is not posing. It's, it really is at that point acting. Let's make it look- Make it look real and natural, but that's where I get confused on the lighting. So first of all, the light coming through the door is actually coming through that window in beams. And same, there's beams actually like coming through a skylight or a window on the right. Is that artificial lighting or is that yes. real? Yes. No, that's at so, did cheater. you add them in post, or did you have a light outside that door actually shining? No, no, in no, real time? no.
1: There was there was sun coming through that. I mean, there was light coming through that door. I just pushed it a little bit in Photoshop. Added a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, light. And then did, through there. did
0: some burning for the beams. Okay, so you're you're shaping it in post. That's neat. The people, though, there are. I I, I guess what I don't understand, and, and the part I am super intrigued by, like this is the part of this shot, and people again, I, I've just got to say it if you're listening to the audio version, for that matter, if you're watching the video, because it never gets in the video the same way as if you see the actual shot, right? Go to behindtheshot.tv, look at the gallery of Joel's work that I have down below. It's a sample gallery and all of his links and everything. And this shot is in there so that you can see it too. The detail in the position that lighting hits. So if you look at each individual guy, they're lit so naturally where They're brighter in one spot as though there's a ceiling light or door light, but then they're backlit as though it's a door light. The light is coming to the edge of the table, putting a slight rim light on the edge of the table. But even their thighs under the table are slightly lit like natural light would bleed down. And there's even the shadowing under the table. You're making me sound really good. Well, and (laughs) and okay, two things on that. One, you are Uh, two. I don't even mean this as a compliment as much as I mean this as just a study of your art. Your, it's clear to me that you, we talked about it at the beginning, you understand light. More than I understand shutter speed compared to f-stop compared to flash power, you understand light. But here's because the, here's... if you look at the shadows under this table, there are boots that are lit up in just the right way that it's real. I mean, you believe you could be there. So, how did you get <clears throat> even if it was just you were right lighting just the guy in the right, right? How do you light him in such a way that the bleed of that light lights his face as a key light, but then the back of his hat is lit and his sleeve is lit as though that door light is hitting him. But then he still got light on his pants.
1: Okay, so it's so let's just let's just let's look at lighting, uh, break it down. The simplest, I
0: feel like I sound like an idiot, but this is fascinating to me. No,
1: because, well, you won't believe how many years I've, I've looked at lighting as such a mystery and I've studied it as hard as anyone could probably study it. And the, and the reason is I wanted to get to the point where I could envision something and then get it to happen. Right. So, um, if you think about, how light falls. That's the first thing. So if, you, if you've if you ever tried to like take a person in a white studio and then drop them into a scene, a composite, and add a shadow to that subject, okay, that's a good exercise. That is hard because number one is we don't necessarily look at shadows as a daily observation. We're not like, oh, look at that shadow on that guy coming off, you know, off on the sidewalk. So we don't really know how shadows fall. Uh, We don't, we're not, we're not an expert on shadows, right? So what I had to do is when I started building composites, I had to go look at real photographs of a shadow, and go, okay, that light, the sun's coming, that's casting a shadow, and it, it's got a little soft here, but a little harsh here, and it's, you know, and I had to look at the real life shadow to go and fake the one in in post.
0: Which explains and, something here. Shadows are where they're supposed to be. Well, they're not where they're not supposed to be.
1: Okay, so so really what what I would say is lighting is taking... And let's just get, let's say my nose, okay? So I put a light over, right here, I got a light right now. If, when I raise this light, what happens to the shadow on my nose? It It elongates. Yes, okay. So, here's an interesting observation. You start photographing models or subjects, good-looking subjects, and you want to get the right shadow length from the nose. Who tells you where that is? Is there a book that's going to tell you? Well, okay, no one told me, all right? What happens is, is when you raise the light, the shadow goes longer and it doesn't look very flattering. So you shorten the shadow, it looks better. If you get too short, it looks like a, like a, a rim light, I mean a, a ring light. Right. So there's a point in which you raise the light to get the shadow perfectly on the nose. You go, that's where I want it. You get a little shadow on the lip, a little shadow on the chin. And you go, why is it that I put that light there? Because it looks the best to the subject, right? Now, not every angle is going to uh, work for every subject, right? Someone looks better with a light a little higher. Someone looks a little bit with well, a little lower, right? Usually what happens is if, you, if you're if you my age and you're all crinkly and raggly, you put it as low as possible because it hides all the flaws. right? But what I'm saying is, is you have to become – uh, an expert on where the shadows fall. And so and how far you take a softbox from the subject. You have to be an expert on saying, okay, if I take a three foot modifier and I back it up 15 feet, it's going to be super harsh to my subject. So at what point does that three foot modifier look flattering to my subject? Well, you got to discover that. And so
0: these are the that, experiments you do when you're not on a paid job.
1: Non-stop. I'm always doing an experiment to look where the light is, to look where the shadows fall. And so the, the where the shadow, the shadow is a revelation of the angle of light, the, where the angle of the light, the harshness and the softness is the revelation of how big the source is or how far it is from your subject. So. When I teach lighting, once you learn, basically, you don't need to learn that many things in lighting. There's just a few things you got to learn. It's all observation things. Once you learn those, then you go, okay, I got a gritty scene. I want to get an edge light to the back of my subject's head. How do I get that? Well, I get a smaller modifier or I get a modifier really far away. Now, when you back a modifier up, it spreads the light. So next thing you know, you're lighting the top of the head and the bottom of the head or the feet. So you go, well, I don't, that's too much light. I want to get it. I want to get it edgy, but I want to get it somewhat central focused. Yes. So you got to get a small modifier in close. And so you work it until you get it the way. So it's, it's Or really use grids. Grids, uh, you know, and, and I use grids for this. Okay. So here's the, oh. here's, here's the way, here's the way you do it. Is once you understand what how to get that sharpness or that softness to a light onto the subject, then it, all it is is going click, ink, 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 you know, just tell you, get it right. Right. And I'll, I'll sit there for 10 minutes moving the lights or if I have an assistant, move it back five feet, whatever. Now, because I'm doing what I call plateography, multiple plates is now I don't have to worry about the lights being in the picture. Right. They're going to come out later. With the background plate. So now I have... Okay, when you say... People say, well, you know, I want to... You know, the old days of film, that's our true photographer. And if you're doing it today in digital, you're a cheater and, you know, whatever. And so I go, whatever. You know, it's like ridiculous. But the point is... I tell is, people is, to go
0: look up the old negatives of Muhammad Ali and stuff like that, where you've seen them mark the negative and where yes, they wanted to... Yes, yes, They did Photoshop yeah. in a dark room, I'm sorry. Exactly.
1: Yeah. But what, 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 today I have the ability to do things I couldn't have done 10, 15 years ago, plateography, I call it plateography, market, working with multiple plates is opening up a window of opportunity that I didn't have before. So here's what I do. What Joel Grimes does. Joel Grimes takes and look at what the techniques and tools that we have and says, how can I take that those techniques and tools and build something that makes a better photograph? Now, I got to practice it. And so, um, uh, my, my friend Cliff, he, 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 um, uh, he's martial arts. He had Academy. Uh, he's a ninth degree black belt. Oh, Anyways. Yeah. Um, but he, he was riding his Harley by my house one day and I'm in the garage with my kids shooting pictures and he pulls up, what are you doing? I go, I'm just testing, testing. You're the master what are you testing? I go, well, I'm backing my light up uh, this modifier, uh, uh, another foot and seeing what I get. He goes, what? And I did a whole series of the refugees down in uh, Mexico with that lighting. what I did was I wanted, instead of having a beauty dish 24 inches from my I wanted to do it about 32, 36 inches, which gave you a little snappier look. And I wanted to see what that looked like because I didn't want to make the my subjects, you know, I wanted a little edgier look to it, right? So I wanted to, before I take my trip, I want to know exactly what I'm getting when I show up. There's no testing on the it's spot. It's a formula at that point, yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, and this is what Cliff's, he, was, he starts, he gets on Instagram, he goes, This is why Joel's the master. He's always testing. And that's. Well, And that's the secret is that I'm not the most brilliant person on the planet, but I am the one who goes and practices enough to where I go. I know exactly what this light does, and then I can go and apply it to a situation that makes me, makes my subject look good, make me look good. You know, my clients love me, all that. Preparation. It is preparation. Um, What what
0: modifiers, what modifiers would you have used on this shot, by the way?
1: So on the overhead light. So you ask about the overhead light. So, what I did was I took a boom and my 24-inch th- my beauty gi- be- dish, the Joel Grimes beauty dish that I ha- I helped design with Westcott, and I ran it straight up over the top like it's a, a light that's going to be hanging from a ceiling, right? Like a bar so, light, okay. Bar light, yeah. So, that's my first light. I go and I fire it off and I get that until I like it. And then, all I have now is the edge lights. Look at the guy, uh, Kevin, the Kurt Russell character. Look at his coat. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. Not, a, that's not an accident. So I want to get, I go, I shoot that. I get that. I move that light until I get those ripples in his coat and the highlight on the back of his neck. All that has to be perfect. And then I go and I shoot a light on the next guy and I get the light on him, on his cheek, on his cheek. I don't want to over light him. Right. So what I'm doing is I'm moving that light until it's cr- raking across his face. And then I got lights on the other side doing the same thing to the other guy. So it's really, it's just really. So it's that, a
0: beauty dish above, and then all soft boxes.
1: Well, it's it's um, small soft boxes, and um, which were they're like they're let's see they're
0: twenty fours.
1: No, well they're, they're uh, 19, eighteen by twenty fours. Okay. With, grid, with grids on them, they're just small right. little soft boxes, and they're right out just outside of each one of their heads. And then I had. Uh, a grid of, or just a regular standard grid running across his coat and his arm. Cause when I first set it up on his face, I liked it, but it wasn't lighting his leg. It was, the leg was dark. I think I lit the guy on the, on the right. I think I added a grid on his leg too. So yes, those, 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 um, you know, that was intentionally, uh, to get some detail underneath the table. Um, but here's the thing, I, what I don't want people to, um, walk away going, Oh, Joel, He is so brilliant and meticulous, and that's you know no, it's really just going in there and um, it's many years of shooting, yes, but it's not as scripted and it's just I I snap it and I go, oh, you know what? Let's get a little light on on the leg, you know. Well, see, and that's
0: the key to me though. Yeah, is while I do think you're brilliant at light, uh, in in you know all honesty. That doesn't necessarily mean you walk into this room with your eyes closed, set up lights, and take one picture, right? Yeah. Even even a Joel Grimes has to assemble the parts and assemble the scene and create the scene that happens in front of him. And that's where that experimentation comes in. And, and again, I don't do a lot of flashlight, but the times that I, I have, I get the safe shot that I know the client will be happy with. Yeah. And then I go, do you have time for one more? Yeah, play Play. And they never need to see it and it can be total crap, but I can study it on my computer later to go, okay, it's total crap because, and I can learn from that by, by just a little bit of experimentation here and there. When, when you do get this though, you go back to your computer, I'm assuming you're Lightroom and Photoshop.
1: I just do bridge and Photoshop. Yeah. Okay. So I don't, I don't use Lightroom, but a bridge Same, it's the same engine that runs Lightroom, but
0: yeah. Yeah. A camera raw. Yeah. So. My last question on this shot, and there may not be an answer to this, and it's probably the lighting stuff that we talked about, but my God, man, how do you get such a 3D effect?
1: Well, okay, so um, let's go back to another thing, which is really bizarre, okay? So I'm colorblind to the point where I don't see green, I don't see reds very well. Uh, Exact same. Okay, Um, so... When black and white, uh, darkroom days, uh, I was in heaven. Uh, loved the tones, looking at tones, values, and so the 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 key was Ansel Adams' zone system. The the key was to get as much detail in the highlights as possible and the much detail in the shadows as possible with the smooth gradient of values uh, representing the the whole picture. Okay, that was that was a goal. So if you if you if you uh, eliminate the midtones, you get this. You know very contrasty picture, right? That could work. That could be your goal. But I'm just saying the goal in the back in the days of film, dark rooms, whatever, it was to get a print that just like had all these tones to it. Right. And so if you didn't do it right, you could tell, "Mm, that's just not quite there. Right. And so I I lived in that world for many years. Of course, I did color, but color was just processed and it was sent to the lab. lab. Uh, Then uh, the lab would make a print um I did some color printing in college as for a class and I had to have a my my one of my buddies uh actually do the color balancing for me and so he'd say too green, I go in and take the green out.
0: So I don't that's, see green at all. That's the one that happens to me all the time is yeah. I'll call my wife in and go, honey, what do you think? I love this. And she'll yeah. go, Why are they green?
1: Yeah. No, green I don't see at all. So um you you and I are probably very similar. Now, so back up for a second here we're making a transition into Photoshop, a digital. And here I am going, Oh my gosh, how am I going to survive doing color balancing in Photoshop? Well, there's, 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 there's a benefit to uh, being colorblind and going, I can't accurately do skin tones. I can't, I can't balance skin tones to look, you know, like, like they're supposed to. Okay. And so, what I did was I went in and started creating a look, the Graham's Grimes look, desaturating different techniques. And then I end up with a picture that's not color balanced, right? You, you, you don't see it. That's not what you see in real life, right? And, and the reason why I get away with that is that a photograph is not reality. And so if you are stuck with, uh, you're doing beauty portraits, beauty fashion, whatever, and you're trying to get everything perfect color, you'll never get it. In fact, um, there's, there, there's, it's impossible to get a photograph, uh, skin tones to look like in real life. It's just impossible. We, we are, I see, you know, millions of colors, transitions and in, in Photoshop. We don't have that. So, so because I said from day one, I can't color balance an image. And I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want. What what I what my intuition tells me looks good, and therefore I build this look, the Joel Grimes look, and it's the the colors are kind of like warm, muted, whatever. But but if you really look at it, it's the tones that are that are singing because that's what I lived in for all those years in black and white is getting these tones and and all these values to have transitions. Now, the the Rembrandt. When you look at the, the Rembrandt triangle or the Rembrandt, when he did his portraits in the broke uh, Renaissance time period, is if when you looked at the the time period prior to that, which I've forgotten now because I got a D minus in that class, um, but they had flat two dimensional paintings, and then they, that there was explosion during the Renaissance, the broke time period where they went to modeling their subjects with cross light, which had a shadow on one side, a highlight on the other, and it brought depth to the painting. And that was a huge jump from what they were doing before. Well, the same thing applies with a photograph is that when you incorporate shadows and, and value changes from a highlight on the top of the arm to a shadow below, you're building depth. And so it's just that's such a natural um, sort of process for me to get as much of that in the photograph as possible. The, 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 the retouching gives a little bit of that too, the detail and stuff it's, like that. But it's, it's, it's really a testament to the fact that when you have what we call a weakness, um, a handicap, if you want to call it it really becomes a strength. And I retouch all my client stuff. So every billboard I've shot, every ad campaign, every cover of a magazine I've shot, I've retouched every single one of those pictures. And the reason why I get away with it, because they're hiring me to do the Joel Grimes brand, right? Right. That's the key to the whole thing. So um, that's why I'm actually, I would say my colorblindness is the ace up my sleeve. It's the greatest single thing I possess as an artist because it, it gives me... Uh, the ability to create a brand that is attached to my name and not everyone's going to like it, but that's not, that's not important. That's not
0: the goal. It's your, it's, it's your voice. And I mean, seriously, your work to me, uh, you know, at at my level, which is way down here, is just uh, unequaled in the industry. You're that good at what you do. And I, same with me with the colorblindness and people are shocked when I tell them, but I shoot live music where there's different colored lights on. And I try yeah. and get it accurate to what I remember. And I white balance off of something in the scene if I can. But the truth of the matter is I don't have to be color accurate with what I shoot. And I just use it to my advantage to be okay. Well to my eye, because that's the other thing is even though we don't see accurate, accurate color, we see something and we can, we can use that as a reference point. I, I've got one, Final question for you, and that is, and I've well, kept you I, late, and, and, I, well, and I apologize. Well, and I wanted to say go one ahead. thing,
1: just, just yeah, to finish ahead. up the whole shoot. There's, there's also a reason why this picture works, is because the characters make it.
0: Okay? Yes.
1: All right. Okay. So the location, the characters, uh, no matter how good my lighting is, because I have those characters and I have location, it all comes together. Right? Okay. So I, my, my boys, I tell this to them all the time. You have to have the skill set of recruiting, the art of recruiting, being able to go out. You got to talk to the mayor, get the get the, um, you know, uh, the right people to give you permission during a pandemic lockdown or whatever. I good luckily I had my friend uh, Cliff helping me, too. But the point is, is, is the getting a horse and a cowboy at the right spot at the right location at the time of day is like uh, it's a lot of work then you do the lighting and it makes it look like an incredible picture. Right. But it's like the, the, the hardest part was not the photography part. It was putting it all together and getting all the guys there, you know, and I had to pay these guys too, you know, so it wasn't cheap, but, but, um, but really, if you think about it, the amount of money I put into that photograph is worth it. I hang it on my wall and I go, okay, it cost me a thousand bucks to pay those guys. It's like, this
0: is an iconic picture.
1: Yeah. So, so I always say to my wife, you know, uh, honey, it's going to cost me. Uh, she's like, whatever, you know, whatever, go do it. Build your, build your picture because if I get the right picture, it's going to pay off in the
0: long run. So what was your question? I didn't want to well, interrupt you. And I just, I'm going now back now to the horse and the, and the cowboy. I can imagine the times when the horse is easier to work with than the cowboy. So yeah. my, my last question really is for someone at your level, who's a photographer people may not know about that they really should go look up?
1: Well, so you, so you, you, I don't know, you said you're, you know, you're down here and I'm
0: up here. It's not really true, but. Well, whatever. not even lighting wise. I'm just yeah. talking about an yeah. artist you appreciate. Okay.
1: Um, so this morning I was getting ready for this, uh, you know, this interview and I had to download a few things and I don't know how it happened, but I, um, I typed in, or I came across a photograph and I typed in Dan Winters. He's a portrait photographer and, um, I went to a site and I'm like, oh, my gosh, these are so amazing, you know. And I don't I, – when I say this, there's a lot of photographers that are, I'm sure are very well known and, and respected in the industry. And I look at their work and I go, that's just not my style. It doesn't really float my boat. And then there's some others that I go, oh, my gosh, I went – this guy is so good or this gal so good, right? And so th- there's times I am, you know – my jaw hits the floor and I look at someone that's really good at something. And, and, um, so Dan Winters, I looked at his stuff this morning. Um, there's, uh, there's others, like I still go back and I look at like Irving Penn's work. I look at, um, Albert Watson's work. Uh, you know, there's, there's some photographers that really, I, I go, Oh my gosh, that's, that, those are my idols. And I, I, you know, um, I just talked a lot about, um, Richard Avedon's book, The American West, uh, this last week um, with a buddy of mine. So, yeah, I'm, I'm always trying to up my game. And I, I, the other thing, too, is if you look at Irving Penn's work and you look at, you know, some of the other master uh, portrait photographers and you look at what they did with what they had at the time and you go, oh, my, I got all these tools and I can't even get half as good as them. Right. But But um, so I I, I am very, very inspired by uh, other artists that come along. And I think there's some, I'll look at a picture and I'll just go, I don't know who the artist is. I mean, I can look them. I don't know them personally or, you know, I haven't seen their work, but I'm still inspired by their work.
0: Well, again, I am inspired by your work, sir. And I want people to be able to find you. So a couple of things. First of all, all the links to Joel's work are at BehindTheShot.tv along with a small gallery of his work and a little thing I wrote up about him. But if people want to find you, your website, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on any of these, but joelgrimes.com.
1: That's, everything goes, funnels through there. It's, um, I used to have a blog, joelgrimesworkshops.com. That's been now pushed through to joelgrimes.com. And, and so everything's there. My portfolio, to see my work, I mean, the body of work, you have to go and click on portfolio.
0: Okay, uh, which is good. And then Facebook, Joel Grimes Photography. Instagram, Joel Grimes Workshops. And uh, Joel Grimes photography, by the way, uh, on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Joel Grimes photo, and YouTube. It's just Joel Grimes. And the one thing I I just before we go, I want to really hit is your master classes, because again, as I as I went to see, when you just go click courses, you got to go to all courses, and when you see all courses, you'll see the breadth and depth of the type of classes that Joel teaches through downloadable videos. And it is, uh, whatever you're shooting, whatever you photograph, there's going to be something in there that will help you. And my guess is probably a lot of them will help you. So you can go there. Joel, thank you so much for doing this, man. I've kept you late. I, I really appreciate no, it. No, no
1: worries. Um, I'm a good talker. And, uh, my wife always says, how does it feel when you are around someone who can out talk you? And I go, not very well. I don't like it, but, uh. Uh, no, it's always fun. It's, it, it, I've learned something. I always learn something when I get a, a chance to talk to people and um, I'm ready to go out and create some new images.
0: Well, uh, again, to my guest today, Joel Grimes, it's joelgrimes.com, G-R-I-M-E-S-J-O-E-L, grimes.com. And go check him out. Head to BehindTheShot.tv. You can see, again, the gallery there, the bit that I wrote up. And all the links are there to YouTube, to his classes, to everything that I could find on Joel. I put there. Uh, before I go, a couple things to remind you of. I do the image critique shows with my buddy Don Komarechka, the macro genius. I do those once a month. Make sure that you get involved in that. If you're interested in having your images critiqued, all you got to do is go over to the behind the shot group on Flickr. You can use a free Flickr group for this join the Behind the Shot group, submit your images, and that's just playing along and joining the community. I don't wanna critique an image if, you, if you're not ready or mentally set to have it critiqued. So if you want it critiqued, all you gotta do is add the Flickr tag, BTS critique, and once that tag is in there, we find it, we use those once, once a month to uh, do our critique shows. Those are streamed live to the Behind the Shot YouTube channel. Again, if you are interested in downloading this podcast as a podcast per se, You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. It's available in an audio-only version, but we are discussing a photograph so I do recommend you try the video version. See if you like it. As long as your podcast app supports video, you can get the video through that. Apple Podcasts, for example, does. I use RSS Radio. You can also get the videos at the YouTube channel at Behind the Shot. And that does it this time around. To everybody, once again, thank you so much for watching Behind the Shot. It's BehindTheShot.tv. You can find me at stevebrazzle.com or I'm at Brazzle on Instagram or Twitter. It's at Behind the Shot TV, Instagram or Twitter for the podcast. This is the show where we try and get in the mind of great photographers like my guest Joel Grimes to better understand the choices that they make and how they actually photograph a scene. We will see you on the next show.